0: Welcome to episode thirty-four of Work and Play, the podcast of Constancy Brooks Smith and Profit, where we give you insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Bill McMahon, and with me today is our guest, Jackie Johnson. Jackie, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you, Bill?
0: Doing good. Doing good. Let me shift gear slightly and talk about um, employee access to you know, the information or sets of information that the company has identified as as trade secrets, right? Let's say that the company's at least taken the time to, um, or had the opportunity to go through and identify, all right, these are the things we consider our trade secrets. How then does the company go about reasonably identifying, you know, who should have access to that information and how In, in anything you can kind of address along those lines?
1: You know, you know, the, the the I guess, old rule of thumb, you know, need to know right. um, was creative for a good reason. <laughs> right. I mean, as long as everyone that has access to your trade secrets internally is bound by confidentiality, then, you know, the issue of how many people within an organization have access yeah. isn't really going to be you know, a, a pivotal question that's going to turn the tide in a case, but what, from a practical standpoint, the more people that have access to a particular piece of trade secret information, the more possibility it's going to go out the door. Right. And from, you know, from, I the see standpoint- what you're saying.
0: So, so, so what you're saying is it, it, it wouldn't necessarily destroy its status as a trade secret. If, if, More people had access, but your your point is more of a practical one of if more people have access, you just have more of an opportunity for potential misappropriation.
1: Right. And, you know, are you really comfortable with trusting a lower level individual um, to, to not use or disclose it simply based on a confidentiality agreement they signed or a confidential information policy? right? If it is, if it is your Coke formula, if I'm at Coke, you're going to have, you're going to have to have an extreme need to know the formula to have access to it. Cause I'm not going to trust that it's not going to get used or disclosed by other individuals. Right. Yeah,
0: that, that makes sense. That so, makes sense. So I'm sure there's probably only a hand, I mean, again, not knowing, I'm sure there's probably only a handful of people at Coca-Cola at any given point in time that know what that recipe is.
1: Right. Right. So, you know, with respect to, you know, who has access to the the, you know, customer database that you have spent, you know, years and tons of man hours developing, who has access to that and can run reports off, off of that. I mean, likewise, that's essentially your coke formula. And, right. you know, from a practical standpoint having the fewest information that people that um that you, that you need have access to that is a measure of protecting your your trade trade secrets. Right. Um, now, I mean, I mean, you can it, always argue that if it's, be, you know, people have access beyond a, a strict need to know if, you know, they have bound by confidentiality agreements and, and, you know, the same physical security measures, like they can't, no one comes in and out of the office without an ID badge. The doors are locked. File doors are locked. You know, we have these policies about remote working and how to protect information remotely. I mean, it, from, from that standpoint, I think a company can still argue reasonable steps, but from the practical, like, if my, real, if my real goal is to protect the information from walking out the door and not just putting myself in the best position to argue before a court, if my exactly. goal is true protection, yep. then it's need to know. Yeah, um, yeah, so and it's, it's got to kind of, be
0: it's got to be true protection because you know the, to your point the court analysis is going to be uh, somewhat fact dependent and frankly it's a battle you don't even want to have to fight if you, if you don't have to
1: right exactly and you know
0: exactly yeah that makes sense um, along the lines you know let, let's say kind of we're talking about you know trying to put some parameters around the need to know concept, if you will. I know, you know, a good number of companies will have certain documents or certain pieces of information, even password protected. How how does use of passwords on certain drives or certain, you know, maybe folders, if you will, on a drive come into play, if at all, as far as these cases go?
1: Yeah, you're correct that, um, a good number of companies essentially have their confidential information, um, I guess separate in tiers perhaps, right. um, as far as categories of or, uh, levels of confidentiality and likewise have, you know, the strictest access for the most valuable confidential information. Um, one thing to think about, um, and this goes back to trade secrets as a, Basis for the need for a non compete, right? Is that if you're going to say, you know, I'm going to defend the need to have a non compete with this particular employee based on their knowledge of X, Y, and Z, right? Yep. Then you want to make sure that there's not a bunch of other employees that have ex- access to X, Y, and Z that aren't required to sign a non compete because it will undermine your arguments as far as why this particular person needs a non-compete but other people with access to the same information don't
0: Oh yeah that that's interesting
1: So it has to be very coordinated and yep. you know and not and and and, th- and thought out it, 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 you know a plan and not just okay I want to make everyone sign agreements um that contain rest- restrictive covenants right um, but just cuz I don't want to have to sit there and, and really think about you know, who, who I really care about, what information do they have and how am I, how, how are, you know, how am I going to argue that this person needs a non-compete and other people don't that have access to the same information.
0: So, right. And, and yeah, and if you were going kind of like with your example right there of just shooting, you know, almost overly broad and saying, all right, everyone's going to have a non-compete, everyone's going to have a confidentiality agreement. We're not going to make any distinctions. I could see a scenario where potentially that could come back to actually bite the company from a, you know, from, I guess maybe from a recruiting standpoint on um, maybe not recruiting standpoint, but th- their, their view of things relative to, you know, other companies trade secrets and how they treat them. And if they were to recruit employees from a competitor should the competitor turn around and, you know, somehow argue that, you know, because of how broadly, you know, our company has defined it, they're entitled to additional protection somehow, for example.
1: Well, if you're, yeah, if you're referring to the Does need. that makes to, sense? Yeah, I think you're referring to the need for companies to hold up a, a mirror to their own face.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well stated. Exactly. Yes.
1: Because, um with respect to unfair competition and and how you maintain your own house and practices, right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if you're out essentially willy nilly um, hiring for, from competitors and saying, well, you know, I'm, for instance, inevitable disclosure doesn't apply to prevent me from hiring this individual because they don't really have, you know, any knowledge of trade secrets. But then you turn around and you take issue, or, or you're or you're basing a, non, a need for a non-compete with people in your organization that have knowledge of equivalent types of information. Then you're not being intellectually con- you know, consistent. And a good litigator, um, when dealing with unfair competition matters, is always trying to look for instances or examples where. You can argue that you you know you're you're not you're not following you're not you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk when it comes to you know what what is trade secrets, you what what employees are competitively dangerous, and you know what you know what unfair competition looks like, and it's it's just a good time for you know again, I talk about the, the value of you know an audit or a program but just to have you know a gut check a reality check and, and just kind of examine what your what your own recruiting practices are right vis-a-vis what you want to be able to argue is wrongful from other companies when they do it to you
0: yeah <laughs> so, I, I like that I like that yeah in other words put yourself in the other company's shoes and and make sure that you're not actually going too far um, that is a really good point well let's and, and I want to Kind of um, use almost that what you just mentioned there as kind of our last subtopic within this conversation. I mean, we could do honestly multiple episodes on trade secrets, but uh, it's uh, you know it's a huge topic unto itself. But let me let me ask about that. I mean, let's say that okay, we have we have a company listening to this episode. Maybe they have minimal experience. Uh, trade secret litigation wise, and they haven't really had an opportunity to evaluate, you know, what they have that could constitute a trade secret, but they want to, you know, dive in more and and do a like what you mentioned, a trade secret audit. Uh, what does that look like, and and how would a company begin a trade secret audit, if that makes sense? Because we talk about audits in. You know, employment law and human resources, and a bunch of different areas, but trade secret audits are not one you commonly think of or maybe encounter as much. Sure. Yes.
1: So how how I go about it is um, initially asking the client for anything in writing that touches on confidentiality, trade secrets. So any um, confidential confidentiality. Policies and a handbook, certainly any non-disclosure agreements, any training that's given relative to, you know, as I said, working remotely um, or uh, you know, a- electronic information security. That that I try to gather all of all of the policy type, agreement type stuff, and have that, and then I um, schedule interviews with the. Typically, someone high up in in each kind of aspect of the company's business, so HR, uh, sales, operation, R and D, um, and make sure that when I've talked to these people, that I've gotten received their input as far as what they perceive the trade secrets are within their side of the organization.
0: Right. Kind of like you were you were talking about at the outset. Yeah.
1: Correct, correct. And then part of it also is to examine um, and, and conduct some legal research within the industry that the client's in and see if there has been any litigation over particular types of information um, that's unique to their industry. And if there's any lessons to be learned from those cases, as far as, you know, reasonable steps to maintain secrecy or, you know, what, what was helpful in those cases for the company to be able to argue that was suing, you know, what, how, you know, what was helpful for the defense to argue um, and see if there's anything to be gleaned by, you know, someone else's experiences in court. Um, and that's, in you know, important as well. And then, you know, from that, once you've gathered all that information, um, then, you know, having, having some decision-making as far as what, what can we improve, you know, are there additional contractual restrictions that we want to put in place? Are there additional, um, physical security measures we want to put in place, you know, additional IT measures we want to put in place. Um, but it's, it's time very well spent. Um, and, um, the clients that I've done it for, I think, have felt that they got out on the other side in a much stronger position from, you know, the standpoint of preventing unfair competition. And, you know, one other aspect that I, I didn't mention before is is actually, you know, going through and talking through the life cycle of an employment. Um, and that goes to, OK, when you're when you're recruiting and interviewing, what's happening during that as far as conversations about you know, does this individual have trade secrets belonging to a prior employer, making sure that they're not using them or exposing them? That's a um, really
0: good point. Right. Yeah. That's a great screening time for that inquiry too. So there's no surprises. So,
1: you know, it is, you know, I have life cycle checklists that I put, that I have created as far as, you know, from the, from the standpoint of unfair competition and trade secret protection, both from the standpoint of, You know, protecting your own trade secret, and as a company, protecting yourself from claims of um, misappropriation by prior employers. So you know, you you go through the life cycle with of an employee and the recruitment and job offer, and you know what's in the job offer letter that pertains to confidential information or use of former employers' information, and then you talk about training during employment and you know access to information and and limits on access. And and then you talk about, you know, okay, the the employment cycle's ending, someone's leaving, and then you're, you know, okay, so your exit interview and you written confirmation that they've returned everything that they had. And are you going to routinely hold on to computers and have, you know, are you going to routinely have them forensically examined at least, you know, from the standpoint of inbound and outbound emails that may have gone on, you know, in right. the months or weeks leading up to someone's leaving, I mean, the, there's a lot of things to, to kind of pack into that, that checklist too, is something that I, that I include often in these audits and go over with the companies to make sure that, you know, they've, they've pretty much examined it from, from every aspect. Um,
0: yeah, that, that, that definitely makes sense. I definitely appreciate the, the background kind of on the steps on that. Um, and I guess the other advantage too, of involving an attorney, um, on the, like in a trade secret audit is that, you know, when you're communicating with a client or if you're preparing some sort of report and recommendation, um, those materials are going to be protected by the attorney client privilege. Correct. Right. Um, I think that's another key component too, um, especially just considering audits generally, when you're, you know, if, if you can do it under the umbrella of attorney client privilege, often there's, you know, big advantages of doing so in terms of keeping that information truly confidential, you know, and not producible uh, in subsequent litigation.
1: Yes. Or so, at least, you know, being able to start the privilege if you, if you want to. If you want to. Or deciding to waive it if right. you want to, because it's a, you know, a nice, easy, fat package of reasonable steps to maintain secrecy.
0: <laughs> right right, exactly, exactly, yeah, that's definitely good, well, Jackie, I definitely appreciate your time on the episode today. I mean, I think this is great, um, I'm glad we're able to do it and and uh you know, especially right after the non compete uh kind of two part series, I think this has been fantastic, um, really appreciate you know all the background on it, and I think we got to talk about it from a couple you know a, a more preventative angle than typically. I, I'll just say from my own experience, even litigating trade secrets cases it, it's from a different angle than is com- than is commonly encountered as far as trade secrets go. Um, there's a I think you know for those uh, attorneys that are listening, I, it, I think folks have had experience in litigation and you're right, there is a common thread to those cases often, not always, but often where you're still trying to almost kind of define what the trade secrets are. And I really thought a valuable piece of today is, you know, stepping back and taking those steps up front, uh, even before you get into a litigation posture.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you found it helpful. I, I think it's very important. And, you know, obviously I'm happy to talk about trade secrets anytime um, it's one of, one of the things I'm very passionate
0: about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we, may, we may end up uh, doing a follow-up episode or diving into something more specific on them um, you know, as we go. Um, and before we wrap up the episode today, um, Jackie, want to thank you again for joining, of course. Um, and also, we would just make our typical request to our listeners. Um, if you like this episode or, or even dislike the episode, uh, we want to know that. So please follow us, rate us, and leave us a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, And also let other people know about the podcast. We welcome listeners. We welcome comments and feedback as well. And as always, uh, we hope you tune in again in a few weeks for the next episode. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Bill.